0: Pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows, and on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't, become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing.
1: Once upon a time in 2015, two. Roommates moved in together in Jersey City, and they were in that apartment for three years and eventually parted ways. But they would go on to start a podcast about TV pilots. This is our story. You would me, Keith. We were, uh, I think, pretty good roommates for for their time in Jersey City. I I would say.
0: I always say like we were friends in college, but we became like best friends living together. I
1: agree. To- totally agree I, th- I didn't think we realized because you know you were a year above me in college and you know we hung on the same group but i don't think we had that much one-on-one time hanging out we watched uh, so-
0: rugrats i think that's when that's like the start we watched the rugrats movie one summer day together uh, and, i don't even and, remember and, that and uh i do <laughs> and okay. uh that's when we kind con- and then we went to the alien witch and and drank because it was just right. like a summer but it was like a we kind of started that afternoon with like watching, uh, cause I think we just like, Oh, we haven't seen this in a while. And then we started really talking and like getting to know each other. We just kind of hung out that whole day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think we do that. We got along pretty well, but it wasn't until we had become roommates that we really realized we have the same taste in movies and film and we really vibe and have a good time watching TV and movies together. Um, so I think that contrasts to what you normally see on TV, which is roommates who do not get along, you know, you're your odd couples per se, right? And you go back through TV history and you have like, you know, pairs of roommates, sets of roommates. Uh, I, I think some people's favorites include maybe like the Golden Girls from the 80s. In more recent years, New Girl was a, a pretty popular sitcom about roommates. Um, and the sitcom we're talking about today is the... I think very much in the same framework as the odd couple, and that's two and a half men. So, you know, I think when it comes to these sort of pairings, roommates, I guess it's a little easy. You just basically just take two opposites, right? I think there has to be a little bit more than that, but... As I think we're going to see as we go on today. You need more than just opposite personalities living together to do something that is funny. At least for me, I, I this was funny for a lot of other people, but you know, it's it's a starting point basically for a lot of
0: a lot of sitcoms. No, I, I can hear the millennial audience going, "No!" I, like this, this show is kind of like. Granted, we, we'll, we'll talk a little bit – I mean, we'll talk a lot about the controversy that that this show has under, like, the elephant in the room in just a sec. But, uh, like, this show, you know, it's, it's not in anyone's, like, top 20 shows. But time, at least I, – I even made a note. Up until season, like, 11, this show ran for, like, 12 seasons. But up until seasons 11 – is when the ratings began to dip, like and it was always double digits, like the people watched this show, oh absolutely, and I think
1: part of that dip had to do with the casting change that happened in season nine, but we'll we'll get to that. I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but you're right, it was a very popular show for its time, but I think it appealed maybe to a different generation than ours very uh, you know much I think so. yeah even if you look at the style of charlie sheen on the show right the the bowling shirts he's always wearing that that bowling shirt and i just think that's more of say my parents generation right like that sensibility and that kind of humor it's i think it's tapping into more old school type sitcom humor but i still think it's missing a little something for me and as as we discuss the synopsis maybe we'll discover what that is
0: well, I, I my question I wanted to ask you as I was like watching and researching the show is, how popular do you think this show would have been on if it came out in the 90s? Well, if it came out in the
1: 90s, I think I think it'd still be popular because you know Charlie Sheen was uh, still a big name. and I think the humor would be a little different. I think it would have to be a little. I don't know a little snark I we'll see I, I i'm a little stumped by this show honestly I, I as we go through it i feel like um we might think of ways how it would be retooled or how it would work in different time periods because is this really a show emblematic of 2000s humor this is a big show for the 2000s but we've talked about all these other shows before Right? Arrested Development, The Office. These are all shows that were doing so many different things. And here's a show, two and a half men, really doubling down on very textbook sitcom humor that we've seen already in a lot of
0: other forms. Right? It's basically doubling down on the formula. Yeah. Uh to quote the kids today, this show is mid. Like this show is like base as basic as you can get. And I don't even mean that as an insult per se like I'm just like I just don't like I said like there are, you know we talked about Arrested Development the office like they're all trying new ways and yeah you're right it kind of doubles down on the formula because with much respect to Chuck Lorre that's kind of all he knows like the guy started out writing for Roseanne But then he did Sybil, Dharma and Greg, like he his bread and butter. And he's continued with that and made CBS a ton of money through this and Big Bang Theory to. Like basic sitcom formula shows like. uh, I, I think like why if it ain't broke it's an ain't broke don't why fix it kind of method
1: oh exactly and i think you mentioned the big bang theory which is one of the most successful tv shows of all time i would say in terms of probably yeah how long it ran and it's probably syndicated more than any other show nowadays it's constantly on loop on tbs and it was one of the most highly sought after shows in the streaming wars i think uh max paid oh my god i don't know like Either half a billion or a billion dollars for the streaming rights. It's, I think it was a billion dollars. Yeah, extremely successful franchise there. So I think Chuck Lorre has to be in the CBS Hall of Fame, maybe the TV Hall of Fame for better or for worse. But he definitely made his stamp in the TV
0: landscape and, and in TV history. I would put him in there. I would put him in there. And, and it's funny that he started now. One day I'll we'll watch it. Uh, but the Kaminsky method is his first like – uh, single cam show on Netflix. It's like, I think it took him 30 years in the industry to do something different. But And I heard that really good things about that show. But yeah, I think he's taking a, if it ain't broke, this is the kind of humor, this is the kind of show that I love. And uh, yeah, it, he took very talented people along with it. Exactly. I think one other show that breaks away from the multicam
1: live studio audience is the spinoff to big bang theory young Sheldon for I've seen a little bit of that. Yes. And that also seems to take more of that, you know, yes, cinematic approach to the show, thankfully. Uh, so yeah, a little history here on the two and a half men pilots. Uh, so this pilot aired on September 22nd, 2003 on CBS to 18.4 wow. million viewers. So already wow, right out of the gate, a really big success. And so I think there's a lot of reasons why that was. Uh, You know, you, uh, you mentioned the cast, right? Charlie Sheen, who has been mostly known for movies up to that point, and now he gets this role. And it was funny, too. He comes out actually just a month after this pilot airs. Scary Movie 3 comes out in theaters. And I actually was watching a little bit of that, you know, just for anticipation of this and his acting style is very similar. He's basically in sitcom mode where in terms of his delivery and his pacing, just his way about him. And I think that was obviously a big appeal. Uh, I think yeah, there's some other big names too, in this show. I mean, people were familiar with John Cryer and even the actress who plays the mom Holland Taylor, we've seen in a bunch of movies too. So like you said, there was talent on the show and CBS, Uh, Definitely knows its audience, and I think this show, probably from how it was marketed, definitely captured the appeal what a lot of its audience was looking for.
0: No, Charlie Sheen (laughs) to a younger generation, Charlie Sheen was actually from like the late '80s to the mid '90s was a high bankable actor. He like uh, he was in Platoon. Like the guy could act. He was in Platoon, but he was also funny major league i love hot hot, shots hot shots and then i think he took over uh michael j fox's part when michael j fox uh had to back out of um spin city and i always describe and scary movie three i i always say that's one of my like i was in eighth grade when i saw that with friends and i busted a gut and he is one of those like straight men that he's a kind of a unique straight man like he has like a I guess that Charlie Sheen edge like he will he's the he's not the goofy guy but he's the guy that you know can enjoy a smoke you're you're crazy man like well he he
1: reacts very well to things right he yes. reacts exactly how you need him to react when he's confused or taken aback he just really knows what he's doing in terms of his presence on screen
0: so he was for a time a professional in that regard. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, he he has his demons. I'm 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 not going to be in his corner except for the acting. <laughs> right, right, right. And like you said,
1: his his performance on Spin City definitely helped him secure this role, which almost seems like it was tailor-made for him. Like he was born to play this role of Charlie Harper. I feel like this role just is him. Like it's this the character is synonymous with the actor. And I also find it a little ironic that Maybe, I, I don't know if he was in TV too much before Spin City, but in that show, yeah, you know, he takes over for the, the original lead actor and then goes to Two and a Half Men where he's eventually replaced as lead actor by someone else. So just a little f- full circle moment with that.
0: Interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, what other little thing here about the history? Um, this is one of those cases too where there was an original actress uh, that was recast. So the role of Evelyn, the mother was initially cast uh, for the actress Blythe Danner, who we might know from Meet the Parents. But uh, apparently she was making one too many requests or suggestions about the script, and the producers decided to dismiss her, and they brought in Holland Taylor instead. And uh, from what I actually understand, there is an unaired original version of the pilot with Blythe Danner and they actually used some of the takes from that original version in the one that made it to air. And I was reading some trivia, and if you look closely, you can almost see maybe like uh, like a behind-the-shot of the original actress or something here or there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, So, yeah, that's your main cast there. I think there's uh, the other main character from the show is um, hold on, let me get the name here because it's the actress who plays the housekeeper.
0: I was expecting her in the pie. She does not appear. Conchata Farrell. yes, I believe as her name Berta, is. right? And uh, yeah, I know I, her.
1: I know her from uh, Mister Deeds. Uh, she was, yes. you know, uh, in the pizza parlor with him. But uh, yeah, she's like the salty housekeeper who I don't know, gets a lot of. Z- zingers in on the show that's their big thing but yeah, yeah she yeah. does not appear in the in the first season yet she doesn't Or sorry appear, the first
0: episode i i because i had to look it up because i i'm not an avid watcher of the show and i'll be honest and you know i don't know i'm sure that's not a surprise but uh like she doesn't come until the fourth episode but my relationship with the show is i you know, it's been on in doctor's rooms and, you know, it's been on in hospitals. It's been on in waiting rooms. And, you know, if there's nothing to watch when you're flipping through channels, sometimes it's on. And I may have caught an episode or two. And you know what? I have kind of laughed, at least within, like, I'm sure season one to five or six. It has it, it's funny it, or at least it, like, it's funny enough. I think it is this pilot is better than some of the pilots that we've talked about so far. But that I don't know about I, I'm that. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I. am not speaking for the entirety of the shows, but I think this pilot, also directed by James Burroughs, we found him again.
1: Yes. Uh, yes. Well, professional pilot director, as you had mentioned before. We, you know what, we I We found him again. I also looked this up too. Uh, several of the first season episodes were directed by a one named Andy Ackerman who directed season 6 through 9 of Seinfeld and has oh. gone on to also do a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So I found that surprising cuz this is this doesn't seem like his wheelhouse at all, right? But uh there you have it. He was at least for the first season a recurring director.
0: I don't think you're going to turn down that CBS uh like the highest I would. No, this no, was I this wouldn't. was the highest rated sitcom in America. I like
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Again, it's a very safe show. It has the beats that you come to expect. Yeah. But, you know, we'll we'll get into whether or not those beats actually have any substance to them. Uh, so, you know, not much history here for the two and a half in pilot, but, you know, it was like, again, I think a show where, the creator had a successful track record behind him with modest successes. You mentioned Grace Under Fire, Sybil, Dharma, and Greg. I think specifically Dharma and Greg is one of the more well remembered ones prior to Two and a Half Men, and also has that very much opposites dynamic, right? That I think is Chuck Lorre's bread and butter. Uh, so you yeah, know, I think the with the cast, with the creator, and a very you know straightforward but still somewhat appealing premise i feel like the the network was confident in this show's ability to be a success and sure enough it was a mega success like you said for many years and you know it it is worth noting right we we would we're hinting at this it is worth noting that uh during season eight of the show charlie sheen was dismissed uh after several bouts of going into you know drug rehab and delaying production, and there was a fallout between him and the NCBS and, and the production, and he was dismissed. And so that was the reason why season eight was the shorter season, and then going into season nine, they brought on Ashton Kutcher, and they basically killed off Charlie Sheen's character in a way where he really could not come back. I, I find that kind of interesting. Like, Not only did they write him off, they wrote him off that he was hit by a train between seasons i'm like oh wow there's no coming back from that at all unless they make him a ghost or something
0: yeah it's it, it okay i i think i i we were both in college i think I, this all happened around like my junior year because i remember watching his like abc interview and that's when like winning and all his tiger blood that
1: right that I became I, kind of memified for meme-ified a while
0: and then he he couldn't take the hint of like the 15 minutes of like he he went on tour. He did a roast that was kind of successful, but yeah, he started taking it on tour and we we're like, I oh, think no. FX
1: also gave him like a, a short lived show as well. Kind of piggybacking off of that media frenzy. I think it was called anger management, but yeah, that was very, uh, like I said, short lived.
0: It sucks. Like I, when I was doing research about it, most of the research re uh led to this scandal and it sucks like when you do think about two and a half men you think of all this sh- like shit and with the, like not even talking about like the quality of the show yeah no it's a such a dark cloud because even without like you know he, he charlie sheen was going through like a major bender didn't didn't give a didn't didn't give a fuck and he's also saying like very anti-semitic shit against chuck lorre and that's like you know it just had this dark cloud and then i was researching apparently chuck lorre's next show i think they must have you know talk about full circle they they must have rekindled um because they're doing another show together with sebastian maniscalco oh i didn't know that but yeah it the only times i knew about two and a half men is because of like like you know everyone you know john crier would be asked about it and it just sucks that you put like this show in this spotlight because i'm sure i would love to talk to somebody who really does love this show because i'm sure there are like really good moments because john Quire, Cryer, crier did walk away with two emmys from it like i'm sure there were some really funny highs and i could see the talent. I know he's a talented guy. He's Lex Luthor in one of those superhero shows now, but he. Uh, I I'm I'm sure he gets into such like, whack like they really put him through that comedic slapsticky filter, and even the kids great like Angus and 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 that there's a fallout with that too. I was reading like oh because he left
1: the show eventually as well. He leaves after season ten, Uh and I I think he comes back as. Uh, either a guest or, you know, very, very small presence in the last season.
0: But he kind of went religious or uh, like I I really I know the bare minimum. Like, I think he I'm sure he met somebody and they kind of said, hey, that show that you're on is really dark. It really just like it's angering God. And he comes out saying, like, I hate I like don't watch the show. And I still find it. He's still the highest paid child actor still to this day. Well, you know, I remember being happy for him
1: because the first time I ever saw that actor was in the Disney movie, The Rookie, with Dennis Quaid. And I remember seeing, oh, now he's on this show. Really? And it's a huge, successful show. So I remember thinking, like, oh, I liked him in that other movie. And so, like, good for him. And, you know, he was on for so long. And so, okay, he leaves the show. I'm not sure if he severed all ties. I, I imagine he was still probably getting, like, royalties from syndication and whatnot, right? Because... Basically, he could be set for life. He never has to act again. I don't think he plans to, but he's – like I said, he being on such a – when you're on such a big, successful show like this, you don't really need – need you don't need to be on another show.
0: Now, uh, funny enough, Chuck Lorre saw The Rookie and didn't audition any ch- uh, kid actors. He knew what he wanted in Aug Angus. I think I said August. Uh, Angus T. Jones. But, you no, know, it's such a, like – For everything that this show built, it sucks that, like, it had to, like, I don't even remember anything. I don't give a crap about Ashton Kutcher. No, I'm sure they don't even acknowledge Ashton Kutcher's reign, and I think I read that it's a terrible series finale, too. I think the last moment of the show, I saw the clip,
1: is of the house, and a Charlie Sheen lookalike from the back is playing the piano, almost as if to, to tease the audience and then a piano falls on him. It's a very cartoony sort of way to just end the whole series. And you're right, it kind of ends on a weird note, unfortunately. Yeah. And I agree with everything you're saying because, as much as maybe this show isn't my taste, you know, a lot of people work on the show. Maybe it does have some highs. Maybe if I were to stick with it, there'd be some moments that I really do enjoy. And to have this, like you said, dark cloud over the history of the show is kind of unfortunate. The legacy of what was otherwise a very successful run. Is is marred somewhat, and I it's funny. One more thing I'll mention too about that I do think that a lot of fans of the show did get they weren't as big a fan when they brought in Ashton Kutcher, and I I'm basing that totally off of my parents. I remember they were big fans of this show, and they would complain when they brought on Ashton Kutcher, and that's reflected in what you had mentioned before about the ratings dipping. And I you know you go eight seasons with the original setup, which everyone enjoys, is on board for. And is consistent, and then
0: knockout numbers, knockout numbers with ratings, right? Like Who knows? Seasons like and boom. Alternate like, history,
1: oh right? If say things stay on course, and Charlie Sheen doesn't have his his spiral and his falling out, and and you know is able to stay on the show, and things can continue. Who knows how much longer it would have run for? Right, eight seasons with that dynamic, it could have run for maybe like another eight seasons. Who knows? It it was God. (laughs) It definitely was like
0: a train that was not losing any steam. Basically, you know how we're gonna later talk about how we could have saved this show, or really like, I think my rule of thumb now with any sitcom, at least with any sitcom, is the show should end when the kids go to college. That's a good rule. I think that's my rule, like the show, like I'm not saying make it the finale, but there are other sitcoms that we're going to talk about, like when the kids grow up and you have to finagle ways to keep them under the same roof or, you know, you're doing some weird stuff. But when I think I, I, I don't know about Home Improvement, maybe they left or maybe they stayed on even like a season too long. But when the kids are ready to go to college, it's time to end the show.
1: Yeah. I I can think of a few shows. Won't mention now, but I'm sure it's all shows we'll eventually talk about where uh, you can definitely see there's a a notable change in the consistency when that happens. Yeah. Uh but okay, here we go. We're gonna set the stage here. So now it's September twenty second, two thousand three. We're turning on CBS. So now Keith, you can take us to the pilot. All right, so we're going to start here with this cold open. Uh, We're going to meet Charlie, Charlie Harper. He is in the bedroom with uh, a woman named Laura. They seem to have a very casual relationship
0: she is about to. Kristen get... Bauer. Uh, the, the, for any of you True Blood, that's Pam from True Blood. It blew oh. my mind. Oh, very yeah. good.
1: Okay, yeah, nice tie in there. So, yeah, you know, Laura is about to get changed into some lingerie when Charlie gets a couple of phone calls that immediately go to voicemail. Uh, one is an angry phone message from someone named Rose who will meet in person later. Uh and the other message is from his brother Alan, who's talking about how he's leaving his wife, and you know Charlie and Laura they're you know they're about to have sex because they don't think Alan is gonna be at the house for a little while longer, but it turns out he is already in the house. He made that call pretty much from right outside, and he basically interrupts them, and hilarity ensues, so then we get our little title card here of I'll two say and this and a half th- men. Th-
0: the it's like oh i think i parked behind her that made me chuckle i'll admit oh it.
1: right right just to make a, a an awkward moment a little more awkward right like is she staying the night because i parked behind her yeah, yeah fair enough
0: <laughs> See, like there are some chuck like i don't want to probably i'm probably turning into that like that there is that family guy joke like there's that lone ostrich ha 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 ha, ha. like yeah in I, the studio audience yeah one yeah ostrich. like i there are moments I can't speak for the whole show, but there are moments in this episode that did make me chuckle.
1: Good for you. Not so much for me. (laughs) Uh, So now after the little title card of Two and a Half Men, we are now in the living room. Alan is ranting about his wife leaving. Charlie is just confused and wants to know how Alan got in. How did you get in my house? Uh, Apparently, Alan was able to find the key, which was under a rock right under... Are uh, right, right on the uh, welcome mat of the door. You know, Charlie explains. Yeah, if I hide it, I'm not going to be able to find it when I come home drunk. Which I was thinking to myself, why not just have a key with you then? I I, I have one of these things where if I don't like a show, I'm going to maybe dissect the joke a little bit. Uh, so you know, we might that might happen again a couple more times in this pilot episode. Uh, according to Alan, you know, his his wife Judith feels suffocated by him doesn't enjoy sex with him uh meanwhile laura is leaving so you know charlie is is pretty put out by this whole situation here he has to listen to his brother go on and on and uh you know he's not gonna get any action and you know i have to say this this first impression of alan here going on and on and on i i have to say not a great first impression i find myself also annoyed with him you know john cryer is playing this character who's very neurotic very uptight and i get that's maybe the starting point for the character maybe he loosens up over time he has an arc but uh from the start here i don't really like this character and you know he's annoying to me in a way that is
0: not palatable that's a good way to describe it because he is kind of annoying like it's it's weird, uh like the neurotic character in sitcoms is just like very like like need freak, like I have to do with this i i I totally am on Judith's side, yeah, I can
1: understand why she feels like I think she mentions later she cries on the way home because <laughs> you yeah, know she she is so miserable in this marriage, uh so you know it's it's a little um awkward here. you can tell Alan and Charlie are not really that close, you know, Alan's like, hey, we never talk, and Charlie's not really interested. We find out that Alan is a chiropractor and uh Charlie is uh I don't know, he's living this kind of fantasy life. He's describing his life where he does very little work, he gets to drink all day, go out by the, the beach, by the ocean anytime he wants, and he has sex with lots of women. Kind of um I don't know, a male fantasy, if you will. Yeah,
0: all yeah, he's a jingle writer.
1: Uh like yes, it, that's it, that they established that a little later, but yeah, he writes jingles for a living, which I guess is not that demanding,
0: and he gets to live this very free wheeling lifestyle. I get do you think that's why uh like Charlie's carefree, like sex filled life, and also being Charlie Sheen is just like we need to find the like opposite end, like like he can't be neurotic. He has to be very neurotic. Someone who is, how are they? How are they brothers?
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I we get a little more insight into maybe how the mother shaped their personalities, maybe more so Alan's personality. But you're right. They're they're very very much opposite. They don't really seem like they're brothers, especially from the fact that you can tell they're not close at all. In fact, yeah, you know, Alan mentions how he's worried about how this separation will affect his son, Jake. And at this point, Charlie doesn't really seem to remember much about his own nephew, about how old he is. He doesn't even recognize the name at first. So I don't know, maybe they only see each other once in a while. It, it's a little unclear. You get a sense that not only are they not close, but they don't even spend, they, they don't know much about each other's lives at all. So I find that strange. It almost as if like they're strangers to each other in this first scene.
0: Which is like, you know, take out the character's personality, I get. Like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm in desperate need of a favor. I have no house. I, can I stay with you, uh, brother, who like, – you're basically estranged. Right, right. But, you know, Alan is a little pushy about this, I would say, throughout the
1: episode about, you know, um, he, he imposes a bit in these first few scenes. Uh, so, yeah, Alan and Charlie, they, they say goodnight to each other after kind of getting fed up with one another. And the last thing we see as they turn off the lights is this character, Rose, standing outside of Charlie's patio door. So we get a sense here that Charlie has a stalker. And it's the same woman same woman who left uh, an angry phone call before.
0: Not just this, any woman. Like, Melanie, <laughs> I had no idea Melanie Linsky was on the show. And I had no idea that she was, like, like. Rose is not a one-off like Rose is a uh, regular for at least like the first couple of seasons, but Melanie Linsky has gone on to like, people know who she is now. She, you know, even from her stint in last of us, but she's on yellow jackets. Like she is coming to her own, but I, as much as I admire her, I'm just like, Oh no. Like, why is this? Ca-? Like, if you want to talk about Looney tunes, like this is, I, I shouldn't be getting a Saturday morning cartoon vibe from this show. It could be I goofy, agree. but this is... How the hell does this character even, like, outside of, like... How does this character be a regular? And I'm sure if I watch, I'll find out, but every episode? I agree. I find the character to be
1: kind of problematic. I mean, she's sort of that stereotypical crazy girl that... Some of these guys would say that they went out with once and were stalked or whatnot, but those sort of archetypes, uh, I find, again, to be derived from this sort of misguided male fantasy, and uh, they're they're like an easy scapegoat for their own toxic behavior, I find. So uh, I'm not too thrilled with this character and the behavior we're seeing from her, you know, because I, I like this actress as well. I think she can be a very powerhouse actress, but to play this Very over the top stalker type character. Yeah, it's unfortunate.
0: Rose is great for like an episode. Yeah, maybe like like
1: a scene here or there. But you're right. I I I, I'm very surprised that she winds up being so
0: integral to the show. Like, thank God they brought in um, because the episodes that I have seen of Two and a Half Men, uh, Cantata Farrell, that character makes me laugh. Like she she how she like shuts down the house cleaner, like how she shuts down char- like, thank God they brought in that character.
1: Yeah, I think you needed something a little more grounded than this, once again, over-the-top stalker type character.
0: Look, you can have the guest room. I'll, I'll grab some sheets. oh, that's okay. I brought my own. <laughs> you brought your own sheets. I like my sheets. <laughs> Okay, then, good night. <laughs> no, no, wait, wait. Charlie, uh, I mean, we hardly ever talk to each other. <sighs> what do you want to talk about, Alan? I don't know. Uh, I was named Chiropractor of
1: the Year by the San Fernando Valley Chiropractic Association.
0: <laughs> okay, then, good night.
1: So uh, now we get to the morning, and uh, this is our introduction to Jake. So we get that sort of POV shot from, from Charlie's perspective. He's waking up, and Jake is just standing over him. And I guess he's just being this sort of stereotypical annoying kid kind of bugging Charlie about, you know, why do you drink wine if it makes you feel bad and having to pay a dollar for swearing, that sort of thing. Uh, Yeah, Jake in these early couple scenes are, he's kind of annoying me too a bit. It it almost seems like he's being intentionally difficult. Uh, But I think the character takes a more appealing turn later in the episode. (laughs) I wrote
0: annoying, quirky kid in my notes for that. Scene. Right, right. And maybe <laughs> so that basically sums it up. Maybe you can
1: attribute his behavior to the dysfunction of his home life. Right. I mean, he has a very overbearing father and a very sad, stressed out mother. So that could maybe explain why. I don't know. He he acts the way he does in these first few scenes. Uh, but, you know, downstairs we're seeing Alan talking to Judith you know, he's telling her, you know, why don't you make a list of things that you don't like about their marriage? And, you know, I think one of the first things she mentions is something we said already. She she cries on the way home to, to, to being with him. You know, so it's a very uncomfortable conversation there.
0: And Judith, like, this is another, I guess, like, a whole bunch of actors I would come to know years later. But Jude, uh, Judith is Marin Hinkle, who end up being Miss Maisel's mom. Like she's Oh, found, okay. Very good. Like, I... It still shocks that the show came out, like, 2003. Like, this show, we have to talk about it. And it, like, in our 2000 sitcoms, like, it's a show that we have to talk about. But, yeah, no, it's – I – out of curiosity, I I did look up, like, guest stars. And this was – like, people did not – people flocked to the show. Like, Jane Lynch, like, uh, was uh, someone's – either Alan or Charlie's therapist – and I'm sure a lot of like, I'm sure her. This is before Glee, so I'm sure her profile got raised from that and Best in Show. So like, if you needed to get a leg up in your career, you, like, you would want to do. You'd want to at least even an episode on this uh, show. You but do yeah, an
1: episode no. of episode of this episode of Law and Order as for you, you know, it's like anytime you have one of these big mega hit shows, you eventually start seeing. A lot of actors who, before they hit their big role, they're doing these guest parts on a show like this. So, yeah, you're right. It's a launching pad for a lot of people.
0: That's I what agree. I want to tell, like, millennials. Like, I know. I know how I- – I-, I I I go on Reddit, too. I know how this show is. But, like, I'm trying to be as fair as possible to this show. I think we both are. But, yeah, it's – yeah, Alan is a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we, we get Alan asking Charlie to distract Jake. You know, he talks with, with Judith, you know, and Judith's going on about how Alan is inflexible, he's too rigid, and, you know, I think I think Alan is uh, not really, he's not really taking any of this to heart. He seems a little defensive. You know, he's like, well, you're just kind of saying the same thing over, you know. Isn't that redundant to say inflexible and rigid? Right, He he's, you can tell that, what she has to say is not really sinking in with him, which is also frustrated. Uh, so, you know, back on the patio, you know, Charlie is he's having a, a cocktail, a little hair of the dog, uh, while you know, Jake is you know, very sad about how his parents are splitting up, and Charlie just gives them to him straight. It's like, yeah, you're probably right, but, you know, he says uh, that if his parents had split up, he might have been a lot better off. Uh, so, you know, that's... Um, An interesting perspective there. You know, Charlie already starting to shape as this sort of uncle who maybe doesn't hide the truth from him as much as as Alan does. Uh, But also, you know, Jake has this comment about, uh, you know, his grandma, Charlie's mom, about how Charlie is a bitter disappointment to his mom, which, uh, you know, we'll we'll meet the mom in just a, a couple scenes here. But I find that interesting that Charlie is a disappointment to his mom. And the only reason I could guess why he would be a disappointment is because he maybe has never settled down or had kids, right? He never got married and maybe she doesn't approve of this this lifestyle he lives. But otherwise, he seems like he's very successful in what he does. Yeah, you know, he has this oceanside house and he seems like he's very, very wealthy. So uh, it it seems to me very early on that you know, Alan is the favorite child, more so than Charlie. But, uh, you could do a lot worse than what Charlie Harper's life is,
0: I'm sure, and we'll get to meet uh their mom in later scenes, but I think I can't help but compare it to another show that came out this year, Arrested Development. I think it's that same uh Charlie's more like a job and and Alan's more like a buster. That's very and good I point. I don't care for Job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't care for Job. But, like, Charlie's not
1: a mama's boy. No, no, no. In fact, he has very little patience for the mom's BS.
0: It's, I'm it's sure he too has bad. mom issues. They both do. They both have their fair share of mom issues. But Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think Charlie's a little more self-aware yes. of those issues. It If only they had a Michael to maybe just bring it all together. But uh, they do not. Yeah, you can imagine. Actually, yeah, this is the show where there's only a Buster and a Job, and of course, that's not gonna. Basically. Yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, so now we're gonna find out Judith is leaving for Las Vegas, uh, taking some time apart, and you know, Alan asks Charlie if you know him and Jake can both stay with him. Charlie's a little, you know, nonplussed about that, but he's not gonna say no. Uh, and I like again, I, I feel like Alan is being a little. Imposing Harry's like, as soon as Charlie agrees, Alan says, Okay, great, I have a meeting. Why don't you make Charlie lunch? It's like, Okay, Alan, <laughs> like you know, it's 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 he's, he's pushy about it, which uh, again, is another turnoff for this character. You know, first impressions mean a lot for an audience, and uh, for me, I think Alan is already verging on intolerable.
0: The only note that I really have here at the bottom is uh, th- I I think we're now in the era and we kinda of talked about it with a little bit of how I met your mother, but there was reasons for how I met your mother. The laugh track sounds fake. I like I I it sounded like canned laughter and it this one irked me. It did because I feel like the laughter happens when there's not even a joke happening. Like yes. there's
1: comedic beats, but not actual jokes happening. So but they still play the laugh track as if there was a joke that was happening. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes the audience just laughs when when there's just a quick pause and Charlie's like, all right, see ya. Like, what's the joke? I, I I don't I didn't see one there, but yet the audience laughed. Like you can have the structure and the pacing as if there's a joke, but you still have to put one in there to warrant the laughter. And yeah. so like, that's my biggest gripe so far. Uh but uh there's no food in the house as Jake aptly points out. So him and Charlie Take a little trip to the supermarket, which is the next scene here. You know, again, Jake is being a little annoying about the specific brand of milk they have to buy. Charlie's like, you know, you're going to find yourself in one of these milk cartons yourself one of these days. Again, chuckle worthy. Uh, and, you know, you get one moment of bonding here. Yeah, you know, they go into the cereal aisle, and uh, Jake wants the Maple Loops, a fictional cereal here, and they both bond over the jingle. They, they sing it. It turns out Charlie wrote it. And that's how we find out that Charlie great jingles for a living. Uh, and then an, uh, an attractive woman shopping uh, in the same aisle seems a little impressed by Charlie. And, you know, she, um, she's asking, Oh, like, you know, you you and your son, you know, your, your wife must be very proud. Charlie says, I'm not married. The woman says, hmm, what a shame and walks by. So uh, Charlie now is finding a little more of a selfish reason to keep Jake around uh, which, as we find out later, Jake doesn't really seem to mind himself that he's uh, going to be a babe magnet. So, I don't, what, what do you think about that? Is that I, I could see that from a mile away that okay, they're going to bond, but Charlie's going to find a selfish reason to maybe keep Jake around. You can you can you can predict that as an apt television viewer. But is that icky to you, or just par for the course? Par for
0: the it, it's not really that. It, it, it's like sitcom, okay. It's like, I, I, like, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be, I'm not that eked out by it. Like, uh, it's like, oh, like, if I was hanging out with my nephew and that worked, it's like, oh, is that, like, you know, just like, oh, like, people, uh, women like single dads.
1: Right, right. And, and I think, you know, going off the beats, again, double, doubling down on the formula, if Charlie is this very selfish guy the first reason he'll want to keep Jake around is for selfish reasons, but, ev- but then eventually he'll warm up to the kid and actually have genuine affection towards him as an uncle and want to maintain that relationship uh, from a sincere reason. So that's you know, that's the path we're clearly going down in this pilot. No surprises there.
0: You know who wrote that song? Your Uncle
1: Charlie wrote that. No lie. Kid, if I was going to lie, I'd say I wrote Starwood of Heaven, not the Maple Loop song. <laughs> You two are really good together. Thank you. So does your wife sing too?
0: Oh uh, no, no, I'm not married. Oh, what a shame. Wow, you're even better than a dog.
1: When we come back from the commercial, we're back at Charlie's house, and you know, Alan is—he's uh, on the phone canceling a marriage counseling session. And in the background, we see Rose climbing over the balcony railing. I uh, can't imagine what that must have been like. You get a sense that Charlie's house looks over the beach from like a cliff or something. So, yeah, you know, she probably should be a little more sweaty or beat up from that. Uh, you know, She she knocks on the door, on the patio door. Alan lets her in because she, she lies about being the housekeeper. And we get some more creepy moments where she's basking in Charlie's smell. Not so much interested in Alan's smell, and she
0: goes off. This is where I think generations split on this show. I would say for older generations, we've seen something like this before. It's familiar uh it's you know you hear the laugh track, but I think with shows like the office, even how I Met your Mother like doing like just like we were being introduced to show after show after show within this like within this like 5 to 6 year period that we've seen this before and oh for sure we like we've seen this before and we wanted something new meanwhile i would say an older generation wanted to stay with stick with what they know maybe that's why this show went on for 13 seasons and arrested development went on for 3 and it and i'm not i'm not really even criticizing it because i'll be old too so i understand that but yeah, but the, once again, you just Rose, said. Rose is so like I it's not that I don't like I don't know this character enough to like or hate her. I just how is this like a series regular? It's just wacky. She's climbing over the balcony
1: that had to be over a cliff like that's that's just kind of uh, zany. And he
0: lets her in and he's just like, uh, like right. He's like, oh, he, you
1: must be the housekeeper. or She says she's the housekeeper
0: and he buys it like what the ho- why would she come in through the patio? But like, uh, that's where it gets like like I, I know it's a sitcom, but I'm just like between it's very much the, all the roseness of it all and all the allenness of it all.
1: I'm just like, oh, God. Right. Not a pair that we want to be alone with as a viewer, uh, but it's just it's it's very much in the territory of don't think about it. And what you said a moment ago just depressed me a little bit about how this show, Two and a Half Men, ran for, you know, 12 12 seasons and we only got three of Arrested Development's original runs. So, uh, you know,
0: that's just how it goes sometimes. But you said it best. It's a, don't think about it kind of show. Like I would say if I was in the, if I was in the hospital, God forbid, and this was on the TV and I've been in waiting rooms where this has been on and I've gotten a chuckle and I'm like, Oh, I can't change the channel. I'm stuck with this. So I might as well enjoy the popcorn. Like it is that kind of show.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's comforting, right? Because it is so familiar. So I I get the appeal from that perspective, but uh, you know, you'd you'd like to see. I don't know. It, it's 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 to me a little frustrating when something so innovative doesn't get the same shot, maybe, or you know, does doesn't get the same longevity that you think it deserves, as opposed to something a little more, um, you know, uh, of a conveyor belt type formula like this. Okay, so. Yeah, after um, you know Rose goes off, uh, Charlie and Jake return. Jake is, you know, bragging about being a babe magnet, and then he says, you know, I gotta take a whiz, and Alan is already displeased over the influence that Charlie has over Jake. And it's this is another frustration I have with the Alan character. It's like, you know, you're gonna stay at Charlie's house. Do you expect him to not be who he is, right? You expect him you don't want him to influence your son but then just don't go there. Then. It's unfair to, to impose on him and then judge him for being who he is in his own house. Uh, so uh, then you know, Charlie is horrified to learn that Alan had let Rose in and he discovers that Rose glued the cabinet shut. He's like, oh no, she glued the cabinet shut again. Why would she do this? out of spite, out of vengeance? Like, what? why do this? And now they have a whole thing, like a physical set piece where they're trying to open the cabinets. Like, how do you go about doing this? Does she just happen to have crazy glue? And why would you do this? It's kind of like, oh, she's crazy. That's why.
0: But like, there has to be some reason. She's obsessed with Charlie, but she would glue his cabinet shut? I don't get it. I'll tell you the reason. Even out, it's to show you that Alan... Uh, that John Cryer is willing to go the lengths with physical comedy, like he's yeah. the one that's putting—he's the one that's gonna be putting his feet up on the on the cabinets, and he, he will—he will slip on the banana peel. Right, right. He's really gonna go out with the physical humor, which I can respect. You know, like it, yeah,
1: yeah. Any actor willing to put themselves out there physically that's, there's no uh, other reason.
0: Like this is the last time until the end that we get Rose. Like, I think right. I and, do believe.
1: Yeah. And again, like you're introducing that character and what she's capable of. Although again, I, I just find it to be a little nonsensical, but you're right. In terms of just getting a joke, a visual gag of him on there, trying to rip off the cabinet and then he falling off because he rips off the handles. And then during this whole physical piece too, you really kind of get a little more of the core of the show where, Alan and Charlie are arguing about each other's lifestyles, you know, where Charlie's trying to tell Alan to loosen up. Alan is uh, giving Charlie a hard time about his lack of responsibilities. Uh, and then, you know, just as I think right before actually, Alan um, goes flying off the cabinets, you hear that their mom has arrived. And so, uh, you know, this is the introduction to that character. So uh, next scene here, we have, we're we back in the living room. Evelyn, uh, the mom, Evelyn, She is giving Alan a very hard time for letting his marriage fall apart. She even has a line, you know, how could you do this to me? So we're immediately getting that Evelyn is a very selfish character. You know, um, a Lucille Bluth type, if you will. Um, Basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, it's I I think there's like a trifecta of these um, sort of like uptight, uh, upper class, older mom characters. You have Lucille Bluth. You have Evelyn Harper from this show. And the other one, I would say, is Emily Gilmore from Gilmore Girls. Uh, and we'll hopefully get to that show sometime in the near future. But I think Dharma
0: and Greg, too. Like, weren't they, oh, they different had lifestyles? Like, you know, she was more of a hippie and he was more. Uh, oh, right. Like, yeah. Greg like, is
1: like white collar guy. I think yes. He's either a lawyer or some, you know, obviously like some someone who works for the man. And of course, his parents would be very stuck-up, waspy type characters too. Yeah. Uh, so you know, Evelyn is uh basically telling Alan that her him and Jake should move in with her. Yeah, she's treating Jake basically like a servant. Yeah, you know, he comes in and he's like, "Oh, here's your iced tea, Grandma," and she's like, "I wanted a lemon in that," and she sends him back. So, also a character not making a great first impression. Uh, you know, this archetype can be kind of funny. But uh, I don't know. it It depends on the tone and how you play with it, right? Because you know, from your perspective, Keith, well, why does this sort of, why does this sort of character maybe work a little better with Lucille than it does with Evelyn? Because I feel like with Evelyn, she just comes across as cold, without really the same sort of comedic appeal. Somehow, like something's missing. And I like this actress a lot, right? I've seen her in a lot of other things. You know, like um, Legally Blonde. I think she can be very good. But for some reason, like. She just kind of comes off as cruel without the same comedic uh, edge
0: that uh, Lucille Bluth has. I'm going to take a, a wild guess because Holland Taylor has, I do believe, been nominated. I think that a lot of the members of the cast, including Charlie Sheen, Conchata Farrell, and Holland Taylor, have been nominated. So I'm sure when they shine, they really shine. And or you know, you know, we're still trying to get a hold of these characters in the first episode, but you. You really do get a, a hold of Lucille right away, and my – I don't know. It's maybe not a theory, but it's – Lucille – this character should be in the same vein as, like, Archie Bunker or Cartman where, like, you should be allowed – this character does cross the line a little bit. Like, like, and I'm not – like, un-PC-like. Like, it, 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 to lack of a better term, like this character uh, should be uncaring. Uh, right, well, she sh- seems it, to be, like, but like, are they not taking it far enough? Is that it, maybe? Uh, I I think it's just because we only get her for like three minutes. And yeah, it's really yeah. it, like. Too soon, maybe. I, yeah. I think it. uh once you know, as I was watching this, I was like, oh, wow this pilot got a lot into it. Like we got all the characters for the most part. We, we even got like Rose to uh, like, they had to get through. uh Can I live here to like, we're living together. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in yeah, 22 they, they minutes, get... like it, it's right. pretty impressive how they do it, but it, it it's very quick and a lot of stuff gets lost along the way.
1: Right. And, you know, this goes back to you can only do so much in this first episode, especially when you're a sitcom and you only have, you know, 22, 24 minutes. Uh, so you're right. Maybe that's something they would focus on a little bit more in the next episode. But, you know, again, these characters aren't making a great first impression with me. Not so much Alan and you know, also here, not so much Evelyn. You know, I get the character right away, but, um, you know, she, she just isn't being funny yet. She just kind of comes off as as cruel. And uh, I don't understand why yet. And if I stick with the show a little longer, then maybe I'll understand why and I'll soften up on her a bit. Again, I like the actress, so, you know, I'm willing to give the character another shot. Uh, you know, And then you also get a sense here, too, it's very obvious that Evelyn, you know, like, she, she's not even really acknowledging Charlie in this scene, right? So she's kind of in the middle here in the living room, talking to Alan with her back to Charlie. And Charlie's not really even involved in the conversation much. And so, you know, when Alan says, you know, I love you, mom, and she sort of does her own way of saying it back, and she looks over at Charlie, and he just kind of sarcastically says it, and, uh, you know, she she just basically doesn't really have much to say to Charlie. You know, you can tell that they don't have any kind of relationship at all, that, you know, whatever the history is there, you know, they both really don't care for each other. You know, it's almost, it, to me, it came off as a little sad, right? Uh And and whereas she seems very
0: controlling over Alan. I'm sure there's something about the father uh that has to do with this that may I I never I didn't dive deep enough if the father's alive, the father's not alive, divorce, whatever, but it just seems like that's a yeah, you're right. It is kind of like there's a lot of love lost between these two. You
1: can tell there's a history here, and to the credit of the actors You can sense the tension, and I think they develop that dynamic of, you know, you you feel like there's a history there. So uh, that's that's a a positive thing to say for a first episode. You know, this seems like there's some built-in dynamics already. Uh, So the next scene, we kind of got a back-and-forth scene here uh, where Al and Judith are out at a restaurant having dinner. And meanwhile, Charlie is at home hosting a poker game, and uh, Jake is helping him out a bit. So you know, at the restaurant scene, you know, Alan, he's very optimistic. He thinks that him and Judith can save their marriage, have a clean slate, only for Judith to say that she thinks she might be gay, her words. Uh, so that maybe puts a damper in Alan's hopes. <laughs> Let's
0: make a list. That made me chuckle. That right. That's a recurring
1: chuckle. recurring joke in here. Alan keeps suggesting, like, make a list, make a list. And Charlie kind of throws that back at him from overhearing those conversations. Uh, and then you yeah, at the poker game here, you know, I think that, uh, the Jake character is actually kind of adorable here. He's, you know, he's helping out Charlie by first, you know, psyching him out, psyching out the, um, you know, the other poker players, right? Like, oh, but you're going to bet on that hand. And, uh, you know, he's, he's helping bluff for him. And then you eventually see Jake actually playing a game himself and he's able to, um, make a tell. He can, he can retells with, uh, one of the other poker players, which the kid's I, good. He's he's good. Kid's he's good. He's 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 smart. You know, he almost takes more after Charlie than from his own dad. Which yeah, that can happen sometimes. But he's a good actor. I
0: I, I was like, I agree. Oh, I, I see it. But also, I don't know if you noticed, and this is a fun fact: he wasn't the uh, the poker player that was bluff that you know was going one to one with Jake, but he was sitting next to Charlie uh, Biff, Tom yes, Wilson. I, did notice him. I did notice Biff.
1: I thought that might have been him. And so I wonder that that's not just any actor. I wonder if he does come back as a recurring friend for Charlie.
0: But I did have to go like, I'm like, is that, that guy looks familiar. Then like, you know, when I watch it again and take notes, I'm like, that's Biff. Yeah. McFly. So, uh,
1: you know, a, a, this is where Alan comes in. He's very, very mad to find Jake playing poker. And hanging around Charlie's poker friends, so yeah, you know, the guys, the guys, they leave, and we get another uh, another kind of headbutting here between uh, Charlie and Alan. You know, Charlie wants Alan to lighten up. Like, come on, I, I agree. I think people would really side with Charlie throughout this whole episode, where Alan is like so uptight. He really needs to calm down. You know, they go into the back patio here, and I think this is where I'm reaching my limit with the Alan character because he is like all over the place physically. He's really spiraling. I would say he's, he's almost having like a panic attack, it seems. And he's go he's almost doubling down to his negativity. He goes, my life is a dark, stormy cloud and you are no use there. It's it's like he it's almost as if he's stubborn in how gloomy his attitude and his life is. So, you know, that's um, it's just like, how, what are you supposed to say to someone like that? You know, it's, it's as a viewer, you can't really connect to that. You know he he really does bring a damper on every scene he comes in because this poker scene is fun until
0: he enters. Yeah, you definitely need like Charlie Sheen. Like Charlie Sheen's not even like as I called him a straight man before, but he's kind of not the he's kind of not the straight man in I guess most of this pilot. He's kind of this snarky guy, but yeah, no, it's I guess that's why you need the fake laughter because it's just. If it was if you take the laugh track out, it's just kind of two guys arguing on a porch, and it's getting depressing. Yeah,
1: it's just kind of uncomfortable and sad, really. So at the end of this conversation here, you know, Alan realizes or he he declares, you know it was maybe not a great idea bringing Jake to Charlie's house. So in the next scene here, it's late at night, Charlie is playing the piano. And Jake comes out in his uh, in his pajamas and yeah you know, he announces you know that you know, Alan told him they're going to move in with uh, with the mom and you know, Jake is is very sad about that he, he says he wished he was staying with Charlie and this is one of the the nicer moments that I appreciate where you know they, they had Jake hugs Charlie you can tell that maybe Charlie's the only person who's really empathized with him in in a while and uh you know Charlie has his connection so as Jake walks away there's a nice shot of of Charlie sort of looking at him and, you know, being kind of sad, like it's, maybe for him too, maybe also for Charlie, this is the first time he's had more of a sincere connection with someone because, you know, all these women that he sleeps with, they're, they're flings, right? They're not serious. And so he's, he's a, this person who's living the solo lifestyle. And here comes this kid who maybe is giving him a deeper sense of purpose.
0: Yeah, no, Charlie is, you know, it's kind of like, oh, you're a lonely, you're lonely all along, Charlie. And this like, you finally have a family and, you know, your nephew finally says, I, you're, uh, he says, I love you. And he has to go. Yeah, right.
1: And I think that ties into the earlier scene with the mom when he said, I love you sarcastically, knowing he wasn't going to get a response. And now here's a family member, yes, yeah, sincerely saying that to him. And so this is where I really think the show has potential is in that relationship with uh. You know the the relationship between uncle and nephew, but then also father and son, and maybe Charlie helping the father son relationship get better too. So that's that's from a you know more from a an investment point of view. Humor, maybe not so much for me, but I I can tell that's the heart of the show, and I can tell that the from the writing point of view there is a seriousness about building that relationship. So I appreciate that.
0: Uncle Charlie. Yeah. I don't want to go to grandma's. I'd rather stay here. Yeah, well, your dad knows what's best for you. Okay. Good night, Uncle Charlie.
1: I love you. Yeah. Okay. Some time has passed. So now, you know, Charlie and Laura, they're back in the bedroom. They're about to have sex again. And Charlie is a little distracted. You know, you can't help but talk about Jake or just the subject matter of kids. And this is like a turnoff for Laura. And then he gets another call from Rose and you know, he, he takes it and he asks even Rose about, you know, what do you think about kids or asking someone about kids? And Rose is also turned off. She thinks, come on, Charlie, we have a good thing going on. Don't worry. Don't, don't mess that up. As if, you know, Rose is happy to be in this very bizarre stalker stocky relationship too. Like she thinks that's a good thing. She's, she's happy to live in this very bizarre dynamic uh kind of interesting there
0: i know charlie sheen's kind of the main character but i i was thinking that it would have been nice instead of this scene uh that we get jake's perspective like two weeks later he's living with the mom and he misses charlie like at least a father and there's not really like a father and son moment yeah, I agree. This pilot. I, I, I totally like It agree. would have been like, oh, I miss Charlie. Um, you, like, hey, Dad, you want to play cards?
1: Yeah, yeah, that would been nice. Yeah, you go back to the mom's house, and he, he tries maybe doing the, some of the things he had fun with Charlie, and Alan. maybe is not having it or maybe not getting it. That would have been like, interesting.
0: Like, But you just kind of have this like, oh, kind of what uh, the scene just kind of – it's like oh the house is lonely like I you know it's great to have people in a kid in the house and you get this you know we talked about rose to death like I don't really want it but like okay you bring back this beautiful actress again but I would it it would have been nice to have a father and son moment in this pilot which it kind of needed I I agree I think
1: what the first episode is focusing most on with Alan is his deteriorating marriage and so it's a little more plot heavy in that respect. And so if you're going to focus on this kid, it's going to be more about his budding relationship with the uncle instead. But I agree. you know, I think that has to be something. Just a quick I, scene.
0: I'm not like – as long as this scene was, I would have been nice.
1: I, I would look out for that in the next episode or two. You know, What is the real relationship between this father and son? I don't really know that yet. So I get a sense of it, but uh, I, I, I want to see a little bit more of that fleshed out. Uh, so now, in basically the the final scene here, we're we're at Evelyn's house. It's a very cold-looking house, right? modern
0: art, super modern.
1: Yeah, like people can't really sit on the furniture. And yeah, you know, Charlie is checking on Alan to see how he's doing. Yeah, you know, and Alan is still kind of optimistic that this is all temporary. He still hopes to work things out with Judith, and you, know, you can tell he's in denial here. Uh, and this is where Charlie, you know, he's offering Alan and Jake to move back in with him. And he makes a good point, you know, at maybe keep Jake away from the mom, from from the grandma. It's, it's look what he did to, the, look what she did to them, which is a good point. And Alan kind of, that that resonates with Alan a bit. And then you know, Evelyn comes in with Jake and we see her smothering him probably in the same way that she smothered Alan, right? She's she's kind of ordering him around. And when she he
0: immediately agreed after
1: that, right, right. That, that clicked with them. And you know, she, when, especially that one image of um Evelyn hugging Jake in a way where she's smothering him into like her boobs <laughs> in a way. Right. I very similar to Lucille and Buster. And so Alan at that point is like, yeah, but we're, we'll move in with you <laughs> that he realizes that's the, the way to go. So then that's basically the commercial there. We get a tag. We're back at the supermarket to close out the episode. Uh, Charlie's encouraging Alan to beat women. You know, like, hey, trust me, this is a great place, especially with Jake. But uh, you get a little misunderstanding here. Another attractive female shopper uh, sees Jake, thinks he's cute, and tells Charlie, like, oh, you and your life partner must be proud. And so at that point...
0: Wah, wah. Right,
1: at that point, Charlie <laughs> tells Alan to wait in the car. <laughs> and then... That's uh, that's where the ostrich in the studio audience laughs. Ha! Huh. and that's <laughs> yeah, the, uh, basically. <laughs> that's the uh, end of the episode. I, I am not comfortable with this. I mean, maybe I should go wait in the car.
0: You're not waiting in the car. Trust me, this is a great way to meet women. I don't want to meet women. I'm still married. Oh, come on, your wife's out meeting chicks. Why shouldn't you? It's got a in
1: me. It's
0: the sweetest breakfast treat. It's maple, maple, maple. Delicious. Your son is just adorable. Oh, thank you. You and your life partner must be so proud.
1: (laughs) You're right. Go wait in the car. So, there you have it the first episode of Two and a Half Men. So, this is basically, I think, one of those love it or hate it take it or leave it kind of shows. This is either something that really, you, you really makes you laugh a lot or doesn't really make you laugh at all. I'm in the latter category, I would say. Uh, I think, actually, as we talked about the plot, I might have chuckled, but in the way that we retold it, but not necessarily as I watched it in the episode. I I don't think I actually laughed once watching this pilot episode. I know you said you might have laughed here or there, but I think... You know, laughter is involuntary, and I, I think I was pretty silent throughout this whole pilot.
0: I think that's fair. Look, I'm not, I'm not standing this show. I just, uh, I the few times that I have seen it, I've chuckled, and I've, i I, I, and I will go back to the comment I made earlier. I still think that this pilot is pr- like, it's pretty standard, has its chuckles. But it, throughout the series, it looks like it's consi- uh, consistently sti- uh, sticks to that. Like, it doesn't ascend. Like, no, I don't think there's any big changes outside of the behind the scenes scandal. But, you know, I was thinking, uh, like, I prefer this pilot based on pilots alone over, like, Drew Carey or Third Rock from the Sun. But where. They, we did agree that – or, Ellie, um, at least for me, they weren't the best pilots, but what those shows grow into have been amazing. But this show really just kind of stayed the center of the street. Okay. Like, I, I would. That's take, where I'm saying. Okay. Uh, well, let me – Because this show I'll, does know itself a little bit more than those shows, but it, we're only talking uh, about pilots.
1: Yes, yes. So that's an interesting point you make. So in terms of whether – the pilot episode is a good reflection on the rest of the series. You know, if the show really knew itself, how well it knew itself from the beginning. I agree. This pilot knows itself better than the pilots of Drew Carey Show or Third Rock did. Uh, I would take, I would take this over the Third Rock pilot. I would still take the Drew Carey Show pilot over this. Personally, I think I enjoyed. I think I enjoyed that one. That one seemed to have a little more personality than this one did. I feel like um, I don't want to say this is generic, but you know
0: it's it's generic. I, I, it, it like it is. It is. Like, it is. It, I, like, I, I yeah yeah. yeah I it feel is. like if I, this is what I was kind of wondering if I would say or not. Like if I asked Chat GPT to make a show, like it kind of just feels like it, and I and granted the actors. I don't want to take away those Emmys away from John Cryer. I'm actually kind of curious what episodes he won those Emmys for. But I it just feels very – we've seen this show before. We've seen this odd couple relationship before, and we, we're we going off to new – once again, this is why The Office, uh, 30 Rock, like uh, also the the camera format, we kind of – like the only reason why I think How I Met Your Mother worked is because – it. It, it's not filmed in front of a live studio audience right that it, one played more with that's a edited. different one yeah exactly right. like that has flashbacks the same way 30 rock and uh Arrested development it basically is a, a single cam show in all yeah that was purposes. a hybrid basically but this is like it did have a studio for uh audience and i'm kind of curious if they did laugh if they're using this can laughter but it is uh I think this show might have even been a bigger success if it came out in the '90s. Like it just, it, yeah. it 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 has that way about it, and if if it sounds insulting, I guess it. I'm not trying to be insulting because, you know, if you like it, you like it. Let me play devil's advocate with you about whether
1: this would have been just as successful or more in the '90s. I'll, I'll play devil's advocate and say this would not have been as successful in the '90s because, to me. This show also seems like it is the product of a major studio production from like a major network. It, it seems just like very much like from a corporation type product, and I feel like in the '90s, the the kind of things that were getting popular, especially in the mid to late '90s, were things that had a little more of like an indie feel or a little more of an edge, and so I feel like this show. Might not have been as successful then because it just, you know, people were looking for things that maybe had a little more of an underground feel. And in 2003, I think things had come around full circle where you can get away more with a more polished. This seems very overly polished, right? I mean, I think the show, you can maybe say that the mom's house, Evelyn's house, is kind of emblematic of the show overall, right? Kind of just this very nice looking, but fairly hollow place that you don't really. I actually I mentioned cozy before, but I just mean that in terms of predictability or familiarity. I, I don't find it very warm or cozy in terms of in terms of um, warmth. It, it just doesn't seem like a very warm show to me. It just seems like a very run of the mill show, and for and for that, uh, it's it's not something I can get cozy with.
0: I. For a show like this, I I agree. Uh, all the characters are unlikable except for the kids. Yes, it they all are unlikable. I'm curious what the kids' character, as he gets older, who he becomes. But, but we're only talking about the pilot. But I do wonder if, like this show, does seem like any genuine moment is undercut with a joke. And while that's okay for Thirty Rock, this show kind of is. Once again, talking about like. Mom, why don't you love me? Like, this show probably has yeah. some heavy things underneath the surface. And I'm kind of curious. I've never heard of this show, like, getting, like, being deep. Or, like, at least emotion Like, oh, it went there emotionally. This episode touched me, like, oh, in a way that, like, oh, God. Like, I was surprised. i never heard that. So I'm guessing, like, yeah, no, it's like it, it, it's kind of that show that you – That's on, like, remember when the Lego movie had that, like, where are my pants? Yeah, it's that kind of shit, Honey, where are my pants? It's it's that kind of show that I'm sure has some very, I'm sure there are highs. Some comedic highs. I don't, like, I think, once again, every time I've seen Kachata Farrell on it, she's made me laugh. But, like. My tastes are not this show. I'm sorry, but if I was in the hospital room and it was on, and the, the and you had no the, choice, and the TV remote was out of battery, I would just, I I would be all right with it. I would That's claw my I'm eyes at. out. No,
1: uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> if I could, if I could compare, like just Chuck Lorre style, you know, I've seen a little bit of Dharma and Greg, but that also seemed to have a little more personality to it than this. Uh, I've seen some Big Bang Theory, and I think this show and Big Bang Theory kind of go hand in hand in terms of its um in terms of its pacing and in terms of its comedic delivery. And I agree, it's like you said before, they can't really have a serious moment without undercutting it with a cheap joke. And it's almost as if it's un it's uncomfortable to not have a joke or an attempt of a joke every few seconds. Right? You can't there's no setting up a joke. It's all quick, easy, cheap jokes. Zingers, very rep- repetitive type jokes, right? We're going to make the same kind of jokes about Charlie sleeping with all kinds of women and Alan's neurotic behavior. It's it's going to be stuff that they recycle a lot. And that happens a lot in Big Bang Theory, too. So you can't really, you know, it's almost as if the show has that, like, un- uh, it's uncomfortable to be in silence. And so it's not willing to take the time to build up a joke and it's not, not patient enough to sit in a more dramatic moment sincerely because it's like, oh wait, we, we need a joke here. We need a joke here. It's, it's like the pressure of producing laughs. And uh, that I think that's coming from a very superficial way of delivering the comedy.
0: I know. I, I, and, and I, I am warmer on Big Bang Theory. And we'll, when we talk about that, I can, we'll, I'll share my history with it, but it, I would, yeah, those are the obvious pairings, but Chuck Lorre, has had like he has made cbs not only with these two shows but there are still shows he had his own block i think like thursday or monday block there's still a show on like oh god with the, the the guy falls in love with his nurse i just saw a commercial for that like last week that's on season six i can't remember the name of it but like uh usually an actor that was in another show like i think. uh like the lead from Silicon Valley is now like and I can understand it. There's some I imagine CBS being on that CBS is like good money. I, I like, oh, oh again, yeah, it's reliable. reliable but it's not everybody loves Raymond anymore. It's not like the, the times have changed. And also the demographics, the young are not going to CBS and the only time they really did was maybe for How I Met Your Mother and even uh, I'm sure Big Bang Theory, like Jim Parsons is famous. every Everyone kind of knows who Jim Parsons is and, and Kaylee Cuoco. But the other sitcoms kind of do cater to our parents. And that's CBS. Like, well, like, you know, right Mikey after Wally. NCIS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mike and Molly. That's another Chuck Lorre show. Melissa McCarthy, that lasted for five or six seasons. What about? I had um, no idea because she was more of a – she was doing movies as well during that she time. She was.
1: She was doing movies. And I, I know her more in terms of television from Gilmore Girls. Uh, and then you also had um, another show that ran for a while, Mom, with Anna Faris, who I love. But another connection there, you know, her and Charlie Sheen in Scary Movie 3. But that ran for a long time. And that also won Emmys. Allison Janney, I think, won
0: multiple Emmys for that show. She – she's an Oscar Emmy award winning actress. And like, I'm sure one I di- I was reading about like the schedule that big bang theory, uh, like when they were talking about it and it, and even ha- I've listened to how, like the, like whenever the cast of friends is like, would you do it again? It's like, would I come in, do a table read on Wednesday and then record on Friday, uh, like rehearse on Thursday, record on Friday a million dollars an episode? Hell yeah! Like I'm sure. Like it's kind of. Whenever I hear about actors, uh, like or shows that like I'm like, oh my god, why is this show on ten season, eleven season? Creatively, uh, the show suffers. But there's a lot. It is a job. It is a job. Like I, Holland Taylor, I think was on that show from start to finish. Same thing as John Cryer. Like, it is that. Monday to Friday, like you're, you're bread and butter. And I'm sure I agree. you're doing other stuff like plays on the off season. But uh yeah, no, like let's keep this going as like as long as we can. And there are creative cons and financial pros to it.
1: Yeah, That's- I agree that you know, when a show goes on, take these sitcoms for example, when you go on for like eight seasons, nine seasons, you know, ten plus seasons, it is hard to keep it fresh. But from just the perspective of the people who work on it, you know, there is value in having that stable work because that's not the easiest thing to come by and show business. When's
0: your next gonna yeah, you never know when your next job is gonna be.
1: Right. as an actor, as a writer, as someone who just works on the production staff, right? Like that's something that's a reliable, cyclical, and very stable work. So yeah, I'm sure, you know, if, if I was a writer on two and a half men. I, and it's like, you know, season 10, 11, I'm like, yeah, let's keep it going. I, it's, you know, you, you don't know what the future holds. So absolutely. And like you said, it, it is a challenge, you know, creatively to keep coming up with new ideas because you can only do so much. But some shows still, you know, obviously we have shows like The Simpsons that have been on for over 30 plus. Animation's
0: six. different, but it, like they tried to like, I granted, like Charlie Sheen, that whole thing happened. So it's like, OK, we the show's called Two and a Half Men. We need another man. What are we gonna call one and a half men? So uh, you know, not every show is Cheers, a show that like revitalized with Kirstie Alley, and no respect to, no disrespect to Aston Kutcher, like while he's great on the seventy show, I don't like. What was he a tech billionaire or something like that? Like, honestly? yeah, I think he like he buys the house and he agrees to let Alan and Jake still live there. It's like okay, that's uh, like that's sure. like the Seinfeld pilot that they pitch. It's like oh, I ran over a guy, I hit a guy with my car, and I have to be his butler. Like that is the show what within the we, show. Yeah, what are we doing here? Here, but like it, at least and also uh, Chuck Lorre is also coming, and this is just from his mindset of making shows show goes on, like show keeps going until people don't want to watch anymore, but we've become accustomed to. And granted uh, there are some shows that are still going on, but it's nice to have a three season sitcom or like a five season or a six season shows that end. We, we like character arcs. There's something to be said about quality
1: over quantity, that old expression. And you could say that a show like Arrested Development that only had 50 something episodes. Each episode is worth its weight in gold because there are so few of them. Uh, and, uh, and then obviously, you have other shows that were able to go out on their own terms before maybe they fell off, like Seinfeld or so forth. Right. And also, think about too, from the actors, uh, I, I was reading too that like towards uh, the end of Charlie Sheen's tenure, he was offered um, like a million dollars per episode, which he felt was too low. Which, think about that. Like, you might think, Oh my gosh! How can you turn down a million dollars per episode? But in terms of the TV landscape, when you're an A-list star who is the star of one of the biggest TV shows at the time, especially when broadcast TV reigns supreme, maybe that is too low. I that's yeah. You know, there's something to be said about. I mean, you shouldn't complain about a million dollars per episode, but there are people. Drugs are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, like that's. I think it's. I think it's that. <laughs> I think, uh, for example, Jerry Seinfeld. He was offered to do a tenth season. And he turned it down, but part of the offer he had it turned down was something like ten million dollars an episode they they would have offered him. And he walked away from that. Which, you know, he's doing fine, obviously. But to turn down ten million dollars an episode when you are doing twenty plus episodes a season, you're talking about two hundred plus million dollars a year. And uh that's you know, that's a, the T V from the from the broadcast perspective as well, it's hard to give up a guaranteed rating success because you know, again, like so so much of your business relies on steady viewership. So yeah, that's, that's another perspective too, of wanting stability. How old is uh, Jake which in this?
0: How old is Jake? Like 10? I think they say he's 10. Yeah. Eight, eight seasons. Like I'll even get like, I'll let it go a little bit yeah, beyond 18 that. 18 goes like, to college. 18 goes to college. But like around that, like, you know, the brothers learn how to be, you know, Alan becomes less neurotic and more like Charlie, and Charlie becomes more. And I'm not saying like it happens overnight or anything, or even it's a full on character shift, but uh, like 13 seasons. Oh my God. Right. Even if if he did stay. Right. Because I mean, besides the relationship
1: between Jake and his father and uncle, what else are they really setting up here for the long run? Because how many women can Charlie go out with? And I imagine with uh, Alan, he's going to try to form more serious relationships and maybe he goes through series of those.
0: And he could be a he could try to have his hookup period, too. I think there was one actress who uh, I, I know who got her start on this show and she played like a dumb uh, broad. That was Alan's girlfriend. Yeah. And then you know, maybe on the other side
1: of it, too, maybe like Alan will rub off on Charlie and maybe he'll start to find a little more substance in the women that he has these flings with or, you know, so forth. Like, you know, obviously that's what you want to see. Uh You want to see some development, but then again, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if the show is doing just as fine with the characters staying in their lanes, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened even after eight plus years of the show. So there you have it. Two and a half men, Uh not a show that I don't, uh, not a show I plan on continuing with, Unfortunately, I know it has its fans out there, but you know, we can't like them all. (laughs) I'll just say that much. Uh, But you know, definitely, I have respect for how successful Chuck Lorre has been and you know, his ability to create the several mega successes over the years because that's that's hard to do.
0: Oh, and this
1: won't be our like, we'll run into Chuck Lorre again. Uh, Yeah, it'd be inevitable that we'll. Run into more. We we, yeah, we'll probably talk about most of the shows that we mentioned that he's also created. Uh, so we're gonna wrap up our journey through the two thousand sitcoms for now. We'll definitely have to return to this era again, but I just wanted to contrast. You know, we talked about uh, the probably the most traditional sitcom of this era, Two and a Half Men, and we've all all the shows we talked about so far have been on broadcast. But you know, two thousands is also the rise of cable, and uh, just to go on the complete opposite end of the spectrum to end this genre, there is a still-running, very unconventional cable sitcom that emerged in the mid-2000s, and it's one that uh, holds a lot of impact on me, and it is the very, the one and only It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So that's what we're wrapping up the genre with next week, and uh, we'll be going down to Philadelphia to the worst the worst bar in philly can't wait uh, but until then we'll catch you at the next pilot follow us on instagram and x formerly twitter at take us to the pilot that's take us to the
0: pilot with the number two We've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day.